0: If you think you felt a great disturbance in the Force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the Secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital hardcover, paperback and audio. That is all. If you're a fan
1: of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like ET2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love Trexperts Briefing Room, a Trekspert's new series. Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind the scenes making of of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can <laughs> find it on the Trek Treksperts podcast feed and on the new Treksperts Briefing podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and this is the 430 Movie Special Report. Rest in peace, Arclight Cinemas.
2: When the Dome opened, it was advertised as the only theater of its kind in the world. And 49 years later, it still is. It's one of two commercial theaters in the world that can play Cinerama in its original three-strip process. It's been the home of many, many world premieres. Going back to the very beginning, the first film, Cinerama Picture, It's a Mad, Mad World, opened here November 7th, 1963. That's the day that the theater opened. The main reason that people are coming to Arclight is to see a specific picture. And it is our goal to make that presentation absolutely seamless, distraction-free, and that's what we work for.
0: Well, I'm here with your back for the fourth season with your favorite 4.30 movie host, but it's a very solemn occasion. Uh, We're here to talk about the end of the Arclight, but more than just the Arclight, especially the Cinerama Dome. So uh, once again, I, I, I will remind you, since it's the beginning of an all new season, uh, I have with us, you know him as the uh, Mary Stephen Melchin. Uh, he's a writer-producer for television. His shows include X-Men, the animated series, Dota, Dragon's Blood, and, of course, Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars. Welcome, Steve.
1: Thank you. And as as Roger Ebert would say, the balcony is
0: closed. Mm, well, we'll get to that. But first, I want to introduce you to the terrific Tuesday, which has suddenly become a terrible Tuesday. <laughs> it's uh, You know him as a uh, conceptual artist, for such uh, movies as X Men uh, Three, The Last Stand, nope, nope, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> He's the visual effects supervisor on the uh, Robert Wise uh, uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture Director's Edition uh, movies like Real Steel um, and The Riddick <laughs> and uh, Master and Commander. That's a better one. There <laughs> you go. Okay. We and last but not least, it's the executive producer of the hit new Netflix I didn't even series. Say my name. Darren doctorman <laughs> <laughs> we got to farm out these intros. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the executive producer of. It says right there on the card. Darren, you should be <laughs> watching the video podcast on Electric Now. And then, uh, last but not least, the executive producer of the hit new Netflix series Dota: Dragon's Blood. He was a writer producer for such shows as Fringe and Terminator: The Sarah Connor Chronicles and Black Sails well as the uh, writer of X-Men First Class. It is Mr. Ashley Edward Miller. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wait a minute. I'm not a guest
3: on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not thanking you for show. nothing, buddy. <laughs> but I know I am going to thank you for, for you. You got the title of my show right. And, and you were able to say Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. again. I worked on it all hiatus. I know. I, every time every you do it right, I just want to put, I just want to put like, you know, like a penny in your jar. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> a
0: penny in my jar. How nice. <laughs> um, I, I'm, i am uh, of course, uh, and they're also the host of the wonderful new podcast on Electric Now and on the Electric Now app, Cartoon Bar Room, where they talk about the latest in animation and cartoons. And it's really been great. I'm, I'm waiting for that retrospective on the heavy metal movie. Oh, Ooh. dude. Yeah. Retrospectives are coming. Retrospectives okay. are coming. Okay. That you know, I don't know. I, you know, I'm the Pixar stuff's great and Disney, uh, but I want to hear the crazy stories about uh, and you got to get Ralph Bakshi. Oh my <laughs> god,
3: man! You no, know, I want to hear
0: about fire and ice. And- that's
3: like that's like not like the cartoon barroom, that's like the cartoon crack house. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <first of> all, <laughs> where's
4: the Fritz the Cat episode? Is
3: what <laughs> I'm mean, right. I would mean, look like the like just doing like a Bakshi episode would be. Yeah bananas we should totally do that yeah
0: yeah but okay but the reason uh the reason we're here is, you know originally we recorded our our first episode of the fourth season and the news just broke literally before we hopped you know on the uh on the podcast that uh pacific theaters the owner of the arc light theaters is uh going i guess chapter 11 and that they've literally turned the keys over to their theaters including the historic cinerama dome to their landlord there is this is obviously not a case of trying to get a concession out of their landlord. It's over as far as Pacific Theaters is concerned. And it is heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking. We we talked about the death of uh, of movies um pre uh, previous episodes, but I think we were all very optimistic when this pandemic was over that they'd then come back. It was back. only theoretical. It was only theoretical. But now we're seeing perhaps you know, we've suffered through a lot of great theaters. Closing in our lives. I mean, obviously, those the small intimate theaters that we, theaters that we grew up on. They're now churches and other sundry places. And then, of course, uh, the Zigfeld in New York, the National and Westwood. Uh, you know, a lot of really terrific. The Lowe's Astor Plaza, all gone. But I think this one hits hits really hard. Tell me why, Steve. Well,
1: first, I'm gonna I want to pour one out using my new. Pete Potwistle mug. <laughs> Can you show that? <laughs> what does that say? Tea
0: time? Tea time with, time time with
1: tea pot pot whistle. Whistle. Pete Potwistle. Uh, Pete Potwistle. Uh, Pete pot Whistle will live on forever in the 430 movie. And uh, let's pour one out for the Arc Light. No, uh, the Cinerama Dome obviously has a very long and storied history in Hollywood uh, before it, it ever became part of the Arc Light chain. And uh, I believe at least the exterior of the building is a protected landmark but I think that doesn't mean they can't gut it and turn it into a restaurant or something, uh, which would be awful. But uh, I have faith that some other theater chain will step in because these Arclight theaters have become such a part of the fabric of the Los Angeles moviegoing scene. Uh, when, when they started, uh, they, they created an environment uh, of uh, first-class moviegoing with excellent uh, sound and projection no commercials uh they only showed two or three trailers three trailers maximum With three maximum trailers. uh yeah no commercials uh and they offered uh high quality uh snacks and supposedly a zero tolerance policy for talking and cell phones although that was never really enforced uh, at least not to my liking but um they really were, uh, the seats were comfortable. You could do reserve seating, which was kind of an innovation for the time. So you could book your seat in advance and not have to wait in line for an hour to, to get your primo center row, center seat. Um, and uh, it just offered, uh, it was very revol- pioneering
0: and revolutionary for that. And of course, of movie the movie. ushers, the ushers were name tags with their favorite movie. So you mm-hmm. say, oh, hey, Jen, I see you love Speed 2 also.
1: No. Uh, <laughs> I just read a story on Twitter by a, a woman who worked at 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 a, an ArcLight Hollywood and her her favorite movie was um oh was uh uh oh, I'm blanking on it. Uh, it was a Bogdanovich movie. Uh Last Picture Show? No, the one before Cast that. Meow? Oh, <laughs> no. uh, Targets.
0: Targets. No. no. Oh, uh, uh, oh, I'm blowing oh, the story. Is Paper oh, Before Oh, Paper Paper Moon. After that was after that was. that exactly. was so, pa-
1: Anyway, her, her movie cool. was Paper was like Moon. Targets. And there's a big, tar- there's a big line of people at the snack bar, and everything was crazy. And uh, the this the guy gets up to the front of the line, and and she sees him leaning in and reading her name tag. And she's like, "Oh God, come on, let's let's hurry it along." And she's like, "Oh, Paper Moon. Do you know who directed that?" And she said, "Yeah, Bogdanovich." She's like, "Very good." And uh, he walked away, and then she realized that that was in fact Peter Bogdanovich.
0: The ascot gave it away. (laughs) The the
1: Arclight was famous for, uh, you know, attracting a clientele of cinephiles and professionals. Uh It it was very commonplace to see an actor or a director or producer at the Arclight. I saw them there all the time.
3: Yeah. I uh, had to stop. So my, my wife, God bless her, um, is she just doesn't have the ability to perceive celebrities as celebrities like out in public. I can't and we either, were, by the way. And, and we were out at the Arclight and we were up at the snack bar. We were just about to kind of get our stuff. And this woman comes up, like leans in and starts like, blah, 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 about the, uh, about the her popcorn and like whatever the hell else it was that she wanted. And like, I can see my wife just like this. And she was about to say something and I just kind of grabbed her. And like the woman finished her thing. She ran off. And, and she goes like, who does that bitch think she is? I said, that was Drew Barrymore. And she goes... Gertie,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's like really Darren. Darren, do you remember who we saw that time at the Sherman Oaks location? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. We saw Fans of this, this, like, podcast yeah.
0: this
4: podcast now, yeah, Uh, but uh, we saw who someone who looked kind of like they were a homeless person standing in the middle of the uh, lobby at the Arclight Sherman Oaks, and uh, then I suddenly recognized them, and it took me a few minutes to uh, process it in my mind, um, because it was Timothy Dalton. And he was just sort of standing there, looking around.
1: Wearing shorts, as I recall, in this yeah. big empty lobby. Yeah. And, by and, and himself.
0: He never <laughs> recovered from his defeat at the hands of the Rocketeer. There was, there
1: was no queue, There's no money penny.
4: Plus, plus his run-in with the boar worms. <laughs> yeah,
0: <that's right. laughs> well, listen. I wanna before we talk about our memories, of, of which there's so many. You're talking about. Uh, I wanna talk about the. Hi- <laughs> I wanna talk about the history. Well, and that that is part of it of the um, of this amazing uh, edifice. Uh, the Cinerama Dome uh, was 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 built to accommodate Cinerama, which was a right. uh, film's attempt to combat television by going as big as they possibly could. The Cinerama screen were three screens, so it would form a curved screen with three projectors
2: projecting. This this is Cinerama camera number one. On the back are three magazines, hold 35 millimeter film, a thousand feet each. There's a single motor that drives a shutter that runs in front of three 27 millimeter lenses. The camera itself Unloaded weighs about 250 pounds. Then you put in the film, put the three car batteries that it takes to run the thing. If you're going to shoot with sound, you need all the sound equipment and everything else. They're usually taking two to three thousand pounds of equipment with them when they go to do a shot.
0: Now, there are only three films that actually project an actual Cinerama at the Cinerama Dome. One of them was How the West was one. I think Ice Station Zebra was one, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Howard Hughes' favorite movie And 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 do you know what the other one was? I don't, because I did What's no the, research. It's, the made, it's a mad, 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 mad world? Oh, it might have been. It's a mad, mad, mad world. And then, of course, this is Cinerama. Was right. what, I, mean, I saw that in Cinerama at Telluride. Steve, were you with me yeah. when we saw that? Yeah, that they, was amazing. They, they
1: set up a Cinerama theater in one the like? of the venues.
0: It was, it was extraordinary. Was cool. <laughs> it was extraordinary. I mean, it was like seeing an IMAX. Uh, oh, wow. But uh, they also showed us what was the other famous Cinerama film, Exotic Adventures, or it was like an mm. international travelogue, because back then people didn't travel around the world. And so the other big famous Cinerama film, besides this is Cinerama, which took you around the world, was sort of this like exotic destinations. Again, uh, we didn't really do any research. This is all off the top of my head. Um, because we, we decided to do show about five minutes ago. But um, <laughs> it, 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 it's a pretty extraordinary thing. But of course, the studios, it was very complicated because you had to keep the, the projectors all in sync. And so the Cinerama actually, you know, didn't, and there weren't enough realist films to do it with. So yeah. they then went to the big, giant, one screen, one curved screen, which right. if you with sat a- in the right place, was amazing. If you sat <laughs> in the wrong place, it wasn't that great. Yeah. But, um, but it was amazing, and so the, the, they showed the premieres of so many classics, um, and then by the time it was going to be torn down, I think it was in the 90s, because uh, it, it was all a parking lot, uh, the Pacific Theaters bought it, and I think they spent like a year and a half, two years, and they added the arc light to it, and then kept the Cinerama Dome as the flagship yeah, it used to just theaters. be
1: this, the the geodesic dome in the middle of this vast Disneyland like parking lot. And they uh, they realized that they could get a lot more out of that prime real estate by building a whole entertainment complex with a parking structure.
0: And as you said, Steve, the Arc Light pioneered so many things like the reserve seating, and it had the cafe there, you know, where you could eat. And then uh, later on, the Amiib Records opened next door. So you'd go, you'd eat, you'd get your, 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 um, uh, tickets, you go down to Amoeba, you buy a bunch of laser discs. And, uh, but, uh, what, and what
4: most people don't realize is that for many, many years, uh, the Cinerama Dome was the absolute worst movie theater you could have for modern soundtracks. Because of its horrible, I mean, right behind the screen was basically a cinder block wall. And uh, it, it could never be THX certified. Uh, there was so many echoes and bad uh, yeah. and bad acoustics in the room that you were lucky to hear anything clearly in it. Mm. Um, it was only within the last 10 years that they did a refurbishment of it to bring it up to modern standards of presentation and be able to, you know, present these modern, films with, you know, seven track Atmos and everything uh, correctly so that people could actually understand what was going on the screen. Um, But uh, I, I have to say that, you know, the original builders of the building itself were these giant 30 foot wasps. (laughs) <laughs> that, um, that did an amazing job on the, on the structure itself. And the, the, story, the story of getting them out of there to be able to use it as a theater was, uh, was one that I would like to see a movie of myself.
0: Well, you know, the first time I ever saw the Cinerama Dome and ever heard of it, ever knew anything about it, was in Galactica 1980, when it was destroyed by the Cylons. Oh, because, you know, it was footage from Earthquake that they had repurposed, and in it, you know, Dr. Z says, this is what could happen if the Cylons (laughs) found Earth, you know, which is like, what? The biggest disappointment, like, the history of television. It's like, (laughs) wait a second, they don't find Earth? This is a five-minute simulation from Cousin Oliver? Come on! That that was the whole
1: trailer. They were showing all that footage of the Cylons attacking Earth, like, oh my god, I can't wait to see the show, (sighs) And then they and then pull
0: the rug out wow, from under wow. you, like, oh. and they go choo, 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 and the Cinerama Dome blows up. I think twice because I think when they cut back to it later, it's fine. Like this is how <laughs> the <laughs> lack of attention to detail. They well, it rebuilt was, it. It was the wall healing. Rebuilt it. Yeah, it was self healing. Exactly. So that was the first time I ever saw the Cinerama well, Dome.
3: But go ahead, Ashley. I was just gonna say, like, I think, like, in, in real terms, would we rather the Cinerama Dome close down or get destroyed by Cylons? <laughs> I'd rather be destroyed by the silence. I got to agree. I, I got to agree. That would it be a seems lot cooler like that's than, how it wants to go out, right? Now,
0: the thing besides having so many of these amazing premieres throughout, you know, particularly, you know, if you look in the 50s and 60s, through the 70s. And then later, a lot of the studios did their premieres. But more often than that, they would maybe uh, do a premiere in the Cinerama Dome and overflow in some of the other theaters. Um, but uh, um, the, the revivals they would do there. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember seeing Close Encounters there, Blade Runner, Apocalypse Now. I mean, there was just some extraordinary to to have the chance to see these films on this immense screen. I think that Uh, was the
1: first place I saw the Blade Runner. It wasn't quite the director's cut, but it was when the the work print, they showed the work print there. uh, I saw it at the New Art. After they showed it at the New Art, they showed it at these. They did a festival. They showed uh,
3: Dr. Strangelove. They did this whole festival of great films there. And then they would do it a lot. Like I saw yeah. for the first time, I saw To Catch a Thief there. That was the first time I'd seen the movie and, you know, Grace Kelly, 40 feet high. And I was like, oh shit, now I understand. You know, it's yeah. like you, when you see like <laughs> some of these actors just as on these screens that are just so enormous, so much bigger than, um, than, than we, you know, what we generally get now, or at least what we had for a very long time. Like on you the understand them on the 430 movie. You, you understand like how how some of these people were stars. Right? They like had the faces first time. Then. yeah like you could just oh like so much is happening like even just little movements um i remember i saw like i obviously wasn't the first time i'd seen it but i remember watching top gun and in under those circumstances and thinking oh that's why tom cruise became a star right because there's just a thing that happens now yeah. some people when they're 40 feet high like they turn into excel the robot um <laughs> And <laughs> when, when, when they're 40 feet high, it's just like, they have like, just something happens. They just have a charisma that you can't quite identify. That's this not the same thing as just being attractive. It's, right. there's something else.
0: But you know, there was a special thing about a night with your friends at the Arclight. I mean, I remember you talking about the celebrities, but Steve, and I think Darren, you were with us. Remember the time, I forget what we were seeing, but it was during the Writers Guild strike. And we, we would usually eat uh, before or after either at the um, at the cafe there, which had great mozzarella sticks yeah. or uh, <laughs> down the block at the Fabiola's Cafe or the waffle. And um, so we ate there. And, and sure enough, there was um, uh, was um, from the uh, the comedian, uh, the, the famous comedian. Um, the funny guy. Oh, clown? my God. I'm totally <laughs> forgetting his name now. Who was the Drew Carey? Drew Carey. So Drew oh. Carey was sitting there having a meal, and we all looked at each other. And this is during the writers' strike. He he quietly had been paying for writers' um, meals um, yeah. at at swingers, which yeah. he owned. And he said, "Any anybody with a writers' skill card can eat there for free," which and for year for a year, you know, it was it was quite a bit of money. And I knew writers who would just suddenly who would eat there every day. <laughs> I, I won't I won't say their names, but I thought it was really chintzy. <laughs> but like they would have lunch and dinner there you know, because it's free, all right? <laughs> so um, we, 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 we basically, you know, all paid for his meal. We, we told the waiter, give us the check for Drew Carey and his friends. And we went and over and just said, look, we don't want to disturb you, but we just want to thank you. We're all WGA writers, and we want to thank you for what you've done for the Guild and for writers in general. And he was really appreciative, and it was a wonderful memory. Um, but uh, we've had so many lovely uh, dinners at, at that cafe You know, it was never particularly great, but they had good French fries. They had good mozzarella sticks. I think they had a good chicken sandwich.
4: And it was convenient, and you could get booze.
0: Yeah, Yeah. they had a bar. The martinis (laughs) are amazing, or were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then they had a great gift shop too, Mm. which was in later years it wasn't as great, but they used to carry all these film books and uh, uh, collectibles, and it was really fun because you could really make. uh, You know, you get there early. Because getting to Hollywood in the traffic was always a pain Yeah, So you get there mm-hmm. early, and you do a little shopping, and you meet your friends to have drinks or, or, or uh, food at the, at, the, at the place. And uh, and then you go see a movie. Well, and, and
1: another thing the Light became famous for, and not just the Hollywood location, was that uh, they would do displays of film costumes mm-hmm. in the lobby. And they had some amazing costumes for whatever the new release was, just on display. and You could take pictures of them and... It was
0: super cool. They made it yeah. feel special. Yeah. They made the, the cinematic experience what it should be, which is like rarefied. It wasn't like, oh, I'm watching this on my phone. It was like, yeah, there was the costume exhibit and there was the giant clock,
1: you know, that was uh, telling you it was the, ticking the, the, down. Departure the departure mm. board. And, and let's not vibe. forget the, uh, the introductions before the movies by the staff members who had to come out and, and introduce the film and,
0: with their little spiel. And oh, some those, were very shy, and some were not.
3: Yeah.
0: Yes, <laughs> some know, were actors. Yeah,
1: those,
4: those displays in the in the lobby for all these uh films in the heart of Hollywood, the entertainment capital of the world, where they would show you know these big displays of costumes and things from all these movies that were shot somewhere else.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love when the people, the you know, the the usher would 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 come out and. Say, hello, my name is so-and-so, and, you know, today you're going to see a very special film. And, you know, I've seen it, and it's wonderful. And I'm like, I don't care. What are you, Cisco and Ebert? I mean, it's like, <laughs> the, you know, just say, I like you come. This is the running time. And, uh, you know, thank you for coming. And if and you have a problem... feel
1: uh, yeah like. Uh, the running time is two hours and 20 minutes, so you might want to hit the bathroom now before it starts, you know, like, and if you yeah, have a problem, right. you'll find Please me or someone dressed like me.
0: Yeah, we we endeavor to present the best sound of picture presentation in all of Hollywood. <laughs> and, and But but yeah, oh my God, when they start to get into, it. I've seen the movie and it's a real special film and the performance by Gene Hackman is pretty short. It's like, oh my God stop they're doing their own <laughs> podcast yeah they're doing their own podcast but it, you know the seats were super comfortable because the arc light was the benchmark now you know all the show the things that came after like the i and the amc like dolby and all these you know um, sort of upscale theaters, basically were knocking off the arc light they didn't exist yeah. before the arc light the arc light was was, was was you know set the standard yeah. And now some of these things we take for granted, like reserve seating and buying your tickets in advance. I mean, because when we first moved out to California, it was like Mr. Movie Phone. You would have to go... D-d-d-d. The, the show is playing at four o'clock, five thirty. Please press one if you'd like to order tickets. How many yeah, tickets you had to you go like and order?
1: stand in line? Press one. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, I can't tell you how many times I, I usually get to a theater an hour early, and I'd always have at friends least. like save me a seat. Just I have to hour? save like
3: four or five yeah, yeah. seats. Yeah. It's the for worst. people. The yeah, I, the arc like changed my entire relationship with going to the movies. I, yeah. The last movie that I went to see where I had to like stand in some goddamn line and save seats for people was, and, and this is what broke me of it, and you'll understand why when I say what the movie was, uh, was <laughs> Ang Lee's Hulk. And I realized that I'd been standing in line for two hours to save seats for eight people. And that I was surrounded by assholes, and it was really, really difficult. And I went, you know what? Fuck this. And then, like, I was done with the movie, and I just said, I can't. I can't do it anymore. What is this arc light thing?
1: <laughs> and after
3: that, I wouldn't go to the movies anywhere where I could not reserve seats yeah. at all. Yeah.
1: Oh, and They it's also, I think, were one of the first uh, theaters to really do the uh, stadium seating as a, as a regular right. thing. Mm-hmm. So you never had to worry about getting stuck behind, you know, a really tall person or someone, like, you know, wearing a big hat.
0: Mm. But I like to um, <laughs> I liked also that you could just pick you could pick the seats yeah. which was so wonderful because I have certain you know I'm a little you know uh, high maintenance and there's certain <laughs> mm-hmm. things. That I, I I like, and I, you know, I'm a misogynist. Not a misogynist, misanthrope. Sorry, I'm a misanthrope. I can't correct everybody You and Pete no, no. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a misanthrope, so I don't like people around me. So you what I, I can do, do seat. <laughs> Is is I could. I, I think I could we have, have like the teacher coming up. I like I like the aisle like seat, so I could not have anyone to the side of me.
3: Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, and then I could get seats for everyone else. Yeah. And, you know, I, I you know, it's, it, but I, I, that was a terrific thing for me. That was a wonderful thing.
1: And and, and you could even, uh, you could even leave your tickets at the, at the concierge mm-hmm. desk. So yeah, you, would, yep, so you could just sit down and you could pick yeah. up, you know, your friends could pick up their tickets at the desk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really, like, it was such a special experience. And I mean, especially look when we were all younger and going and to the movies together. <laughs> and our hearts were yeah, were an open book, and uh, we would we would live and let live. I oh, mean, yes. we would we would we would That's we what went we used to there say. a lot. We went there a lot. We went <laughs> there a lot.
1: <laughs> I
4: just remember, I, I just remember going to those, uh, you know, uh, the special older movie screening. Our client like "Yeah, yep, yep, and and seeing in seventy millimeter, Lawrence of Arabia." Ugh. I went one afternoon with some uh, some coworker friends, and we sat in the you know the back third, uh, in the in the raked seats, and up in front, two two uh, rows in front of us, we realized, are all the hobbits from Lord of the Rings
0: and it turns out
3: they're huge and you can't
0: and they're putting Proto their dirty
4: feet Sam, up on the seat Frodo and Samwise and and uh, Mary and Pippin are all <laughs> sitting there watching Lord of the Rings with us Fucking and, I mean uh, the, the Lawrence, Lawrence Lawrence of the Rings
0: and it was ask you so
4: then. surreal to be there in the midst of it and it was such a you can't you can't imagine that happening in real life.
0: It, well, no, not like I don't that. believe that it did. Where would you see Lawrence of Arabia now? Like, exactly. what screen can hold it? You know, it's like what screen is worthy of Lawrence of Arabia? Look, I love the new Beverly, love it, but you know, it, it, it's not great for like something like Lawrence of Arabia. No. It's great for sort of you know canon films. And like you know, stuff that was 133 at the time, and you know, yeah. you know, it's too not small. great for epics. It's too small, too small. right? Uh, the, and, the, and, y- and the Egyptian theater isn't bad for that. Yeah. The I mean, Egyptian they have, they is actually good. actually have 70 millimeter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, one of the great uh, screenings of the Egyptian was when I went to see the nitrate. You went with me, Steve. Yes, the nitrate Casablanca. print of Casablanca that Chris Nolan introduced. That oh. was an extraordinary evening. That was amazing, um, yeah. and it looked beautiful on that screen. Speaking um, of hobbits, I, I think one of the, one of the, my last
1: fond memories of the ArcLight was going to see the Lord of Link- Rings movies with Ashley and his and
3: your son. Yeah, who had not seen his them hobbit. before. Yeah, his little yeah. hobbit. You know, and they were kind of doing the uh, the sort of the I don't know. I guess they were rerunning them, and it was his first experience being able to watch those movies. And um, and also, I got to show Caden for the very first time. He had never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark before. And he got to see it, like, on a real movie yeah. screen at the light, which was yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the only thing now that makes me just kind of go, uh, right, that I'm, I'm trying to wipe from my brain, because I don't want to remember it this way, is I'm realizing the very last movie that I saw at the light, I'm pretty sure, may God have mercy on my soul, oh God, was birds of prey. Oh, Oh, that's terrifying. Oh, Oh. man. Man. um, You know what? I'm going to pretend that's not true. I'm just going to pretend.
0: It was Return of the King, actually. It was
3: Return of the King. (laughs) You know what I love, too,
0: about the art? You would always run into people there. Yes. Because any any like-minded individuals, like, you know, the dome would accommodate so many people. Like, if you're going opening weekend for a movie, you know, a big movie, like, you'd run into a bunch of people. Hey! The The same people.
1: You know, yeah, the same, the same people. Always the same people.
0: And and at the ArcLight too, you would run into all these people. And then also the ArcLight also they did a lot of press screenings and they did a lot of theater mm-hmm. rentals. So I went you know to a lot of screenings there that you know uh, I, I, we even held some uh, there. So, oh my God! Um, One of the greatest screenings I ever went
1: to was the uh, anniversary, 30th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. At the Light Hollywood, that uh, Harrison Ford was there, did a Q oh and A. I was sitting front row center, and Harrison Ford was in his little director's chair, about eight feet away from me, uh, t- telling stories about Empire Strikes Back. And there were several other people from from the production in the audience, and it was a f- just a magical night.
0: They did great Q and As there too. They would bring yeah. out the director's chairs and have people people come out and everything. Um, you know, it's funny. I'll tell you this story. The first time I ever saw 2000, this is an embarrassing story. First time I ever saw uh, 2001 was on the ABC Sunday night movie. I was watching it with my father, and I was so bored by all the 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 Neanderthals throwing up the things, and I just I'm like I don't get it. I don't get why people love this movie, and uh, I I never watched it again. And then when I moved out here, 2001. This is long before the Nolan. Uh, you know did what he did this was a, a, a they re, re, you know they showed it at the cinema at the at the cinema dome 2001 this was in the 90s and i went to see it and that's where i fell in love with 2001 and it shows you the difference between the phone you know and and, and a real movie theater because that was where i learned to appreciate 2001 it became one of my favorite movies of all time
1: yeah, I mean, the Cinematheque is a, an incredible resource for Los Angeles, both the Egyptian and the Arrow. Um, and they showed, they did some um, incredible programming, but the Arclight would also do it on a regular basis with their Arclight Presents. And they showed just all kinds of movies from, uh, you, know, a, you know, classic films to comedies, to 80s movies, to action. I mean, it was, they always had a great rotating program of classic movies that we could go and yeah. see on a big screen.
0: Yeah. Well, look, it's a tremendous loss. To the L.A. film community, to cinephiles everywhere, to the business, and look, hopefully, hopefully, we've seen it before. The Cinematheque was bought by Netflix. Other, you know, there are a lot of people out there with a lot of money. You know, the New Beverly was saved by Quentin Tarantino. um, That hopefully, whether it's Amazon or Apple or somebody steps up or another theater chain, and 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 saves the ArcLight because it's worth saving. Movies are worth saying. It's 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 an art form that. uh, you know the the that pandemic. Hopefully, can't. American.
4: Count. Yes.
0: Well, yes and no. We started it. We'll end it.
4: Well, you could argue <laughs> the mayor brothers started
0: it. But, okay, that's a, that's a conversation for another podcast. But I want to I, I want to welcome you back to the Four Thirty Movie. If you're new to the Four Thirty Movie, every week we curate a fantasy theme week of classic films in the style of the old uh, Four Thirty Movie. Um, we'll be back with our first official show next week, which is um, going to be, it's an honor not to be nominated. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll be picking films that were not nominated for Oscars, but should have. And each week we'll have all new, uh, all new shows. And of course you can listen to all three seasons of the 430 movie, wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can watch them on the free Electric Now app. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you can also check out Cartoon Barroom with Ashley and Steve or the Trek Treksperts with Darren and myself, where we talk about all things Star Trek. We just wrapped up a fantastic show with the great Ralph Winter, who had a, amazing stories about um, uh, the Star Trek films. I'm excited you know, about that one. Dropping.
1: One day, I think our two podcasts are going to rumble. The yeah. Treksperts <laughs> and the Barroom are going to have a rumble. It's coming. I can That's right. It.
0: And... Uh, if you don't like any of us, there's the best movies never made, <laughs> which uh, doesn't have any of us on it. It's yeah. uh, Steve Scarlatta, the producer of Jodorowsky's Dune, and uh, Josh Miller, the writer of Sonic the Hedgehog. So if you're trying to avoid us, Same you're quality, like me. <laughs> you uh, you may want to check out the the best movies never made, which is a terrific podcast as well. So uh, anyway, on behalf of uh, Darren, Steve, Ashley, and myself, we can't wait to see you on the fourth season of the 430 movie. Until then, Eyewitness News starts now.